There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to tie the thongs of his sandals. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is a word. Kyle, I have loved, we love the Doe Holy Night, and we still have cookies and things to bake, so I'm just going to request that in January you get something like an exercise study that goes to work all these cookies off that we're going to be eating for the next couple of days. So last week, if you were with us, uh, many of you, ha a few of you shared with me after worship that you appreciated my picture uh, of John the Baptist, uh, the meme, if you will, that said, Happy Advent, you brood of vipers. And I promised myself uh, during the sermon that I was finally going to have an ornament or decoration of John the Baptist made so that he could be part of our Christmas celebration every year. So I want to show you uh, that ornament that I made this week. How you have that? There you go. So there's John the Baptist on his ornaments saying, Happy Advent, you brood of vipers. Right there among uh, angels and our Christmas campers and manger scenes and, and snowmen on our tree. And so now we have John the Baptist who is going to be here every Advent with my family to help us remember the, the spirit of this season of waiting and, and John being with us and help us to add meaning to the Christmas story. So thank you for showing that, Kyle. And uh, once again today, John is at the very center of our story, of our gospel lesson. So he's back, and he has another message for us today. But today we have John's gospel and John's version of John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. Now it's similar to last week's story in his call and his purpose, but, but this week those who consider themselves gatekeepers to the kingdom of God have come to confront him. To confront one he who himself has said he is a gatekeeper of sorts to God's kingdom. But, but they can't see that. They don't, they don't see that in John. Now I want to invite you to imagine with me. And I'm drawing from a sermon illustration by the Reverend Charles Hoffaker. Imagine being at a, at a, in a downtown of a large city. One that you maybe like the most. And there you are downtown in this city standing at the main entrance of a grand and luxurious hotel. 
It has stone walls that go for many floors. It kind of goes so tall into the sky you, you lose sight of it in the dark night. There's a canopy at the entrance to that grand hotel entrance. And there's a red carpet that reaches out into the street for people to walk into as they enter. It's a damp and and cold evening. Maybe snow is flying around. And in this elegant space, in this elegant and grand location, there is a doorkeeper. A doorman, if you will. He happens to be a mountain of a man. He's dressed in a knee-length blue top coat. Gold braids on, braids on the shoulders and, and down his arms. In his nice uniform pants, there's a stripe that goes down the side going all the way to his bright, shiny black shoes. He has an impressive top hat on his head. He has white gloves, spotless white gloves. And he has all the proper dignity of anyone you've ever seen as he opens doors, orders cabs greets people who are coming and going by name. And it would be unimaginable that this building would be without this doorman leading people in and out so well as he does. This is his role. This is his job. He's part of the landscape. Now, imagine you've never been to this hotel, but as you approach the front doors, you realize you've wanted to be here for a very long time. But here's this massive figure in his braided top coat, looming large as he greets you at the door. And strangely enough, he seems familiar, yet at the very same time, very unfamiliar to you. Your hometown hotels don't have the doorman like this. You've never had anybody open the door for you when you step into a motel, but somehow you recognize him from all the old black and white movies that you've seen before. So what do you do now? One option is to question him. Tell him that, well, I can get the door myself. I don't need you to do that for me. You could ask him what army he is from or if he thinks he's a general. Make fun of his clothing, if you will. He looks different than anyone else. Yet you sense that you could also simply let him do his job and open the door for you. He gives you a gracious nod towards the direction he'd like you to go. Which option do you choose? The answer, as I tell that story, seems obvious. You go inside. You step out of the cold. You enter the warmth of the, and the lavishness of this hotel. You go to that banquet that you know awaits you on the other side of the door. John, in this story, as I shared with you as our doorkeeper, the hotel obviously represents the fullness of God's kingdom, and you and I, in our imagination, we represent those who are invited to enter into the kingdom. Now, I share that story because today in John's gospel, these priests and Levites, they, they arrive and they choose option one. They've been sent down from Jerusalem to ask hard questions of John the Baptist. He has worked as the doorman for Jesus, and he's the doorman to God's kingdom. Yet these priests and these Levites who have been sent simply refuse to allow John to open the door for them. 
They begin to ask him things that suggest that they are thinking, who are you to invite me in? It's, it's I who needs to be opening the door for you, John, not the other way around. We've got this backwards. If anyone was supposed to recognize the prophets, it's those who come to him questioning him, these doorkeepers of the kingdom. They should know, they should recognize who he is if anyone is going to. It was kind of their job. But they could not see him for who he was and the very thing that they stand for, the very thing they've given their whole lives to, that they desperately desire, is just right on the other side of John's invitation. But instead of walking through that door, taking that invitation, they keep themselves outside. They stay in the cold, and once more, not only do they stay in the cold, but they start mocking him. In a very public way, mind you. Who are you? They ask. And without lashing out at them, perhaps as Mark or Luke has John the Baptist lashing out, he humbly says, well, I'm not the Messiah. Now this made sense to people in, in his day because there was a desire, there was a lot of energy and a lot of excitement around the fact that perhaps the Messiah was on the way. Their great hope, their great Savior, like David and Solomon, would come and bring in victory and bring in a new day for Israel. That was the fervent hope. And John is speaking into that. Indeed, John had, is speaking of similar and such things, but he quickly lets us know, but I'm not the one. But he still doesn't answer their question. So they press him even more. Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? No to both, he says. But he still offers little more. This will not do for them. They have a mission. They've been sent to, to find out who this person is, this self-designated doorkeeper. They need an answer because they've been sent by those who expect and have the authority to get said answer. So they press him even more, and as they talk, you get the sense that their voices are going up both in octave and in pitch. Well, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And to which he simply and honestly answers, I'm the, I'm the one Isaiah spoke of. I'm the one proclaiming that the Messiah has come. John doesn't say it, but perhaps it's implied here. And if anyone's going to know this, you all should recognize me. You all, of all people, should know what I say is true. But they continue to press him. And my own paraphrase to summarize this is essentially they're saying, who do you think you are to baptize and to forgive sins? This is our work. It's not your work. You don't have the credentials, John. And as far as we can tell, we haven't given you the authority to do such things. So who do, you, who do you think you are? Now it's hard for us, I believe, to really relate with those who call themselves Levites and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. And we cannot know what it meant to live in Jerusalem and Palestine, occupied by Rome. And there are historical Parallels to pay attention to, I suppose, but how do we find our way into this story today? 
And I don't know why our lectionary does not include it, but I think it helps if we include verse 10 in chapter 1 with our reading because it plainly tells us what's at stake here and what is of importance. And in verse 10 we read, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Hence we have our purpose. Hence we have now what is a focus here. And that being the case, what we can ask ourselves, I believe, today, our entry point into this story is to ask, what keeps us from seeing the light of Christ today? How might we be standing outside the doors of God's kingdom, but not willing to walk through that door that's being opened for us? Now I think it bears saying, often we hear these passages and and maybe we think this is about getting to heaven. Now it may be that, but not in total. It's much more if you paid attention to Isaiah. This is about ushering in a new world, a new way. This is a question about choosing each day and each moment to live our lives as followers of Christ and people of God. It's about whether or not we will choose to live out the greatest commandment and the ways of Christ, of which I will turn to in just a few moments. Now, as I was asking myself these questions, I came across a picture this week that I'll show in just a minute. But at first it made me laugh out loud because it's rather funny. But I kept looking at it. And I felt that it perfectly portrayed what I feel like I look like sometimes as a follower of Jesus. And maybe you can relate. And maybe it gives us an idea of what we can look like as a church sometimes. So Kyle, will you show that picture for me now? Yeah. That's a photographer with a lemur on his, uh, his lens. And I like, to, I like to take pictures. And I love this, that this, this photographer has come to this location and his intent is to have this massive lens and he's going to focus in on lemurs and here's the lemur looking with him for himself and he's outside his own image so the very thing he's looking for is right there but he can't even see it now that reminded me that you and I often look through our own lens into the world I do and as a result, I can readily frame the world and I can frame my understanding of God in the way that I want to see them. And sometimes I know that I'm guilty of cropping out the very thing that I'm looking for. But it is closer than I know and I think we all can be those who do that at times and such as it is with God the known and the mysterious and the unknown all at once. And I share that because I believe that these folks who come to John, the ones who discount him so crudely, I do believe they deeply wanted his message to be true. And I believe that's the irony of what's happening in front of us. They all want and desire the exact same thing. I have no doubt that these folks desired the coming of God's kingdom. I know they deeply long for the Messiah to enter in. I know they wanted to see God's people to live in peace again and no longer oppressed. John and his inquisitors both knew full well 
that a life lived under the boot of Rome was oppressive, it was often violent and unjust. Even so, for these folks, John and more importantly Jesus, didn't fit into their framework of things. Not the one that they had created, this image of God themselves. John just didn't fit for them. He, he was too different. Christ was too different too. Christ, though, was, was right there. He was standing just outside the frame of everything that's taking place here, but no one, and these folks could not see it fully. And I wonder when it comes to us in the church, in the world, how often do we too stand just outside or we allow Christ to stand just outside the framework of our vision? How often, like this photographer, do we look for Christ in our midst far too narrowly? How often do we ignore those who suffer, as Isaiah points out? How often do we reject the prophets who tell us, you've got to get it together? You've got to take better care. How often do we think that our understanding of God is, well, better than others? In all our attempts to remind ourselves that we belong, in all of our desire to know that God is with us, our deepest desires for a better world, how often do we refuse to enter the doors that Christ has opened for us, open wide for us, to see them come to fullness and fruition. This door that is opened is one of grace and forgiveness, healing, and hospitality. Or as one rather familiar passage says, how often do we entertain angels without even knowing it? Now if we are to step through these doors that Christ has opened for us, and that John invites us through today, if we are to more fully bring Christ into our framing focus, we must live in a way defined by that greatest commandment I mentioned earlier, that one of loving God with our whole being and loving our neighbor as ourselves, even if that neighbor is friend or foe. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that the message of the prophets have never been framed out fully. John was not framed out when he came preaching that the time had come to make straight the paths for Christ to enter in. He would lose his life. Jesus will endure a cross. But those things could not and would not and did not keep the light from entering in to redeem the poor, to free the oppressed, to find the lost, to heal the brokenhearted, and to forgive us when we sin and fall short. Now there are seasons when this light shines dimly. And perhaps in these hard days, it does seem as though this light shines dimly. But as one person writes, Christ is the light. As the evangelist tells us, the light cannot be put out. It flickers but it is not extinguished. Is it possible? Is it possible that the answers to many of our deepest hopes and desires and longings are closer to you and I than we know today? I think so. Christ is as close as your next act of love. 
Christ is as close as the next acts of grace and welcome that we can offer when the need and opportunities arise. Today, the doors to such things are open wide and we are invited to enter in. Today, we're called to look beyond our own framings and enter fully into the ever-expanding, the mysterious, and the universal love that is God. And through that door is a wideness to God's love. It's the expansiveness of God's ability to offer welcome. And it is a call for you and I to carry the light of Christ into the darkest places in the world where the light of Christ is most needed. And today we have a simple ask. Will we recognize it? Will we enter?